quarter to three There's no one in the place Except you and me So set em up, Joe I got a little story I think you should know We're drinking, my friend, to the end of a brief episode. Make it one for my baby and one more for the road. That is Frank Sinatra, who was the favorite artist of one John Cheney. Uh, and we played that this evening as uh, we remember uh, the legendary Hall of Fame basketball coach at Temple University who passed away today at the age of 89. Welcome to Working to Beat. I'm Kevin Cooney. Mike Kern is with me. Uh, and what is going to be a reminiscent show? We're going to try to make you laugh. We're going to try to we're going to try to make you think of the fond things that John Cheney uh, brought to this area for a long time. Uh, so if you're, yeah, please, please don't, please don't make me cry. No, no, I don't, but I will at some point, but um, it's okay. So if you're tuning in thinking you're going to hear a lot of Nick Serrani talk today uh, or break down Jeffrey Lurie's 20 minute monologue, that ain't happening um, because it's not often when you say a legend is gone and uh, somebody who especially was close to a number of people in this region, including my partner and Mike, I know we had touched base around two o'clock. Um, you, you have reached out on his birthday, correct? Last week. Um, and I'm bad, Kevin, when it comes to keeping up with people, I'm, I'm just, you know, somebody will say, Mike, you haven't called me in eight months. Eh, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm not that kind of person I, for whatever reasons. And last week, you know, I, I had probably hadn't talked to John since like the summer, maybe, you know, and the pandemic was going on. And, and um, he uh, so somebody tweeted out, hey, happy birthday to John. Chaney. I'm like, oh, my God, it's his birthday. So called him up and he answered like which sometimes doesn't always happen. And uh, he was he was in the hospital. And I said, well, is it covid? He said, no, no, no. He was having trouble in his legs. I think he mentioned blood clot or something. Now, I don't know if that's what. You know, or if he just, you know, something, I, I don't know. I, right. I don't know the details. He's 89 years old. He could have just went to sleep and not woke up. Um, And we talked for about 15 minutes. And, you know, of course, he was happy about the election. And, you know, I'm not getting into the politics. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's John. Yeah. Um, And he, he did have a funny line, but I'm not going to say it. And um, <laughs> it, at You'll the tell end, me off the air, right? <laughs> it's. I mean, it's. It, okay, I can say it. Okay, because John, he just said. I, I said, you know, he said, yeah, four more years of Trump would have killed me. Um, and and he laughed. That was John. <laughs> yeah, you know, he laughed, and he and apparently he was friends with Biden or he knew Biden because he said my friend Joe. And I'm like, oh, I said, you you know him. Um, so I don't know from back in the who the hell knows, and um, but the way we left it was, I said, John, look, because we had talked before the pandemic about me and Girardi going out to visit him. And he, he didn't like doing that. He really, but he's like, yeah, yeah, we should. Okay. And that's the way we left the phone call was um, when this is over, you know, and it's safe, um, you know, we'll come out and visit you. 
Uh, we'll get some food from your favorite Chinese restaurant or we'll do whatever. And of course, you know, now we won't. And it was, it was weird, Kevin, because, um, and I would have felt like total crap if I'd never had that phone call with him last week, you know, and that was always my fear that, you know, this would happen and I hadn't talked to him in six months or, or whatever the case might be. And Mike Pettin, you know, who I had a very, very good relationship with. And then, of course, yeah, we we grew apart because he retired and I stopped covering the high school. But we kept right. in touch. And he always wanted to play golf with me. He kept talking about this and talking about this. And finally, one year, he just calls me up. We're playing golf, like, next Thursday. Okay. So I'm outing up at... Um, up in Doylestown. In North, no, it was up at North Hills. Okay. Um, it was some Bucks County coaches thing or something. I don't know, whatever. So we played. We had a great time. I wrote a story about it for the paper. Um, and afterwards, we talked for about two hours. We were the last people out of the parking lot because it turns out he's a dog person. I'm a dog person. We, we didn't talk football. I think Mike had just been fired as the Browns coach at that point. Yeah. So we talked a little. But anyway, and then we left it as we're not waiting this long to do this again. And then that winter, you know, he died of a heart attack on a golf course in Florida. And I always thought to myself, you know, and I, and I went to the, the memorial service they had for him up at CB West. Right. But I always thought to myself, what if I hadn't seen him? You, you know, um, and so I don't know, maybe things happen for a reason, Kevin. I, I have I have no clue, man. But I, I was so glad that I got to talk to him for 15 minutes last week. Um you know, I don't think basketball came up at all. I really don't. <laughs> you know, maybe Aaron came up. And and then Coach Girardi told me that he had talked to Fran over the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, and Fran hadn't mentioned anything like, you know, that he, that that he, was he wasn't Ill. doing okay right. or whatever. So. Uh, I, I, I remember calling um, the last time I talked to John was the last time we had him on this show. Uh, we had him at your retirement. Um Oh, I got it. I forgot that. I yeah. Forgot. Uh, and wasn't this show, though. It was when we were. Well, doing it was it. when we were over at yeah. Wildfire. Okay. And well, I, uh, I had set it up as a surprise. I want the surprise Mike to have him on. And so Dana, actually, I called Girardi. Girardi had the number. I got in touch with 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 uh, with John. And John's like, yeah. I'm like, Coach Shaney, it's uh, Kevin Cooney. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, listen, uh, you know, I do a podcast with Mike Kern and he's retiring this week. The blankety blank finally retired. I told him not to. Right. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, we, we went to surprise him with you on this podcast. We do. All right. I'll be on. Right. So I remember Taylor. So we call and everything and Taylor must've had the sound down or something. And John was John could hear us, but he thought we couldn't hear him because the sound level was so low. So John's screaming like, it doesn't sound like good dad, but you're not. <laughs> and eventually like we got to coordinate it. And, but John was like, just, if you ask John for something, if you ask him an opinion, he gave it to you. If you asked him for time, he gave it to you if he could. And, uh, it, it, it and if you were a friend of his, I take it. And look, you were a friend. Um, I was much further removed. Uh, you were a friend for life. Look at his dedication to Speedy Mars. I mean, that that's an example of, of what he was. You know, I mean, yep. yeah. pushing for Speedy to get in the Hall of Fame 
in his last years here. I mean, it's yeah. been it's been pretty remarkable. I may I may have to write that book this summer. I don't know if I sit down and who who knows. Well, uh, um, by the way, if if you have the athletics um, page, uh, Mike's story from last year has been reposted uh, on on on. John, kind of his life story. So please give a read. Well, that was that was for Black History Month. Yes, that they had me do that. So he was talking about things that weren't necessarily basketball and important stuff. But in the Inquirer this weekend and the Daily News on Monday, when John got into the Hall of Fame in two thousand one, I wrote the story in the program for John and Jensen, and it wound up winning an award. I'm not trying to pat myself on it, but I was really proud of it. And Jensen came up to me and said, you captured John unlike it. Like, you'll never do better than that. And mm-hmm. I, I tend, tend to agree with him. And I've always said to Pat, by and by the way, it's Pat McLoon's last day to yes. make the inquiry. You talk about people that will be missed. You know, my colleague, Pat, what a day. And um, so they're, they're reprinting the story. They're going to, in its entirety. And it's a fairly long, and I, I just would urge everybody, if you can, to give it a read. There's some things in there that I, you know, I could tell. I mean, I, I remember Rick Brunson once told me, and so I think it's in the story. I mean, don't listen to how John tells you something. Listen to the words. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Because if you listen to the words and you get past the bluster of the big black man up on North Brushy, 95% of his words make, you know, make perfect. And I know he made mistakes, and he'll, he'll, be, he'll be the first person to tell you he made mistakes. And um, Dean Demopoulos, one taught, the former assistant coach there for a long time, told me one time, he said, when John hired him, he said, don't try to look me up in the dictionary. You won't find me there. And it's the truth. There there will never be another John Chaney. Now, there may never be another Speedy Morris at some point. You know, there, there are other, you know, there are other coaches in this town who've right. done great things. John's not the only guy who helped kids. Right. Um, you know, Jay does, Phil did, does, uh, Fran does, Speedy, you know, so, you know, but John... Just was man when you got to know him, it, it it was an education. Let me. That's the only way I can put it, Kevin. Let me put. Let me. And I should say we're going to have guests on later. We're going to have Harry Donahue's the voice of Temple basketball. He's going to join us to talk a little bit about his memories of John, and then we'll bring Dick Girardi in later um, to bring in his memories as sitting next to Mister Kern on those Christmas Eve shows, which I know has been so popular uh, with John. Uh, from Daily News Live. Uh, let me ask you, though. Let me look at a basketball perspective here. You know, we're going to talk a lot about the person, <laughs> but let's talk basketball. To get to five, to get to five elite eights at a school that I believe didn't have a NCAA win from 1958 until he walked on no, campus. No, they had a couple. I went back and looked that up. They had like one or two. Okay. There was a, and they did win. They did win the NIT in '69 when the NIT T was the thing was a big deal. Yeah, that was like a big deal. So yeah, but you're right. They they yeah have few NCAA appearances or wins in that time frame. Right, right. Um, why was he able to be as successful as he was at Temple? And since he left, look, I, I love Dumpf, and we all love Dumpf, and I think Dumpf did a really good job there. Dump Dump won three straight A ten times. Yeah, but yeah, he but it's been any. but I mean the pro it's been tougher for the program yeah. since he left. Well, he, I first of all I think the marriage of Cheney and Temple was perfect. Mm-hmm. 
John could have went to St. Joe's or LaSalle. He would have been successful. Would he have went to five Elite Eights? I don't know. But the philosophy of Temple, you know, give us, give us, give us this kid that needs help. We're going to try to help him. And he took flack for it. He took a lot of flack for it. Um, but it was the perfect marriage. And the fact is, you know, he got the four of those final eights as a six, a seven, a 10, and an 11. And in each case, lost to a one. Mm -hmm. Okay. And two of those games, three of those games, actually, I mean, were close. Yeah. Carolina in 91. Duke and Macon's throwing up a shot at the end. Um, it almost went in, and Rick Fox said, I thought it was going in because everything else he threw up went in. 93, they were beating Michigan. With four like minutes to go. Half. Right, and four minutes ago had the lead again, too, I think, if I'm not What's mistaken. What's that? Like four or five minutes ago had the lead against Michigan it, in that game, I against think. Against Michigan State. No, no against no. No. Michigan. I don't know how late they led the Michigan game because Michigan did come back in the second half. And right. But the Michigan State, the defending national champs in 2001, Temple was down four with like three, four minutes to go and had took two three-pointers, but Michigan State was smart enough not to let Lynn Greer take one of the three-pointers, and Temple wound up losing by like six or seven, and Duke blew them out in, in 99 because they shouldn't have even been that far, and that was a great Duke team. Mm-hmm. Look. And then so the one time he lost that everybody kind of remembers is when he lost to Duke in 88. The Billy King game. The Billy King game, and look, and I, I said that to him once, and he goes, Mike, yeah, I'm not going to do the voice right, but he goes, you know, we lost to Michigan. We lost, you know, this, this, this. And the other time we lost to Duke. Yeah. Duke. And, you know, Duke went to like six straight final fours and they won a couple. So I, I get, you know, and I remember one guy, I won't mention his name, but somebody in this town said, you know, he never made a final four. And I'm like, what? I said, you're kidding me, right? And, and I know the goal was to make the final four. And, to win. and look, in 2000, they lost that bad second round game to Seton Hall when that team probably had a chance to go really far. But there was nobody in the tournament that was better as an underdog than John Chaney yeah. because he played the goofy matchup zone. And the, the teams, like, if they played the fourth best team in the Big 12, they were going to beat them because they, they wouldn't know what was coming at them. Now, when they get to the point where they were playing Kansas, they might have trouble because the talent level. The toughest games John had were the Atlantic 10 games because they knew how to play them. Yeah, You know, they'd be those ugly 48-45 games or whatever the hell they were. But I said to him one thing, you know, the Temple people I would hear over the years, ah, uh, you know, he, you know, he doesn't, we don't like the way he plays. Yeah, they would, we don't like the way he plays. I said, well, the way he plays is why you're in the final eight. Right. So you better, you know, and, he, and the advertising Temple used to get from him and Bill Cosby back in the day, they were, you couldn't buy the advertising that mm-hmm. John provided them by being on national TV and all that. But the one time John said to me, he goes, if I played real basketball, we'd stink. I'd be fired two years from now. He was right. Yeah. You know, and, and unfortunately, Temple has tried to play real basketball since, and I know his last three or four years weren't that good, and, and Dunf is great at coaching real basketball. Yeah. But it's tougher at Temple to come up with the athletes you need to have. John, John, in 20, what was it, 25 years around there, 24, recruited, I believe, five McDonald's All-Americans. Mm-hmm. Five. One of them left or left after like a year, Johnny Miller, because he had problems at home or whatever. Uh, Mark Macon, obviously. Rick Brunson, mm-hmm. who um, uh, who am I leaving out? Um, Kevin Lied. Right. And Mark Karcher went there after originally going somewhere else. So I don't really count that one. But, but I mean, he won with guys. When you go back and look at some of those rosters, Kevin, you covered those games. Yeah. 
you're sitting there going, huh? I mean, like, Rashid like, really? Rasheed Brokenborough was a nice player, but Rashid Brokenborough probably is not playing for a team that gets an Elite Eight in for a lot of. Uh, he's not a mean player for an Elite Eight team in a lot of cases. And you want to know the great thing about Rashid Brokenborough? And I, I talked to Rashid a couple years. I think when I did that story, you mentioned the right. athletic story. Rashid Brokenborough was a Prop 48. He was the last John Prop 48, I believe. So he didn't get to play that extra year yep. that he would have got. John Chaney was more proud of him for what he was and what he did and what he became in life than any basket right. that Rashid. Now, did the fact that he could play basketball get him to Temple? Sure. And he There's played no and he played overseas for a lot of years and everything. Played overseas, but, but, he, but, he, but he became a great person. And not every kid John ever coached became a great person. I'm not going to sit here and say that. But there was a kid, and I'm going to forget his name, Kevin, and I'm going to uh, – one of his first recruits was a kid from Philadelphia, like a 6'8 kid. Oh, my God, it's going to kill me. But anyway, and he recruited him, and, the kid, and he became like the poster boy for Prop 48. Mm-hmm. And he never amounted to a great player at Temple. He was just a player. Um, but then he had a 30-some-year career in law enforcement. Oh, and uh, John- it- it was, men- it, was uh, it was mentioned in, actually, Dan Wetzel did a story. Um, What's his name? Who am I forgetting? And I, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Go ahead. And I apologize. But John Chaney would talk about that kid just as reverently as he would talk about Eddie and Aaron and Mark. Oh, and is it not Michael Blackshear? Was no, it? no, no, it, no. He, he was, he was, it was before I covered the team. Would have been like 85, somewhere in there. Um and I remember he got a lot of flack for it because the kid was a prop 48 and he had to sit out the year and all that. And, and um, yeah, and then the kid became a really influential uh, law enforcement. I think he worked with kids in the neighborhood, stuff like that. And, you know, and those are the stories that he's most proud of because, mm-hmm. you know, winning games was important. There's, there's no doubt winning games allows you to do stuff like that because if you don't win games, you're going to be fired after three or four years. Um. But, yeah, I mean, you know, you think in this city, the amount of lives that have been touched by all the coaches we know, and, and that goes down to the to the Division two and three level. Ernest Pollard. Ernest Pollard. That is correct. That's actually in your story, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and I just can't think of his name because I'm old and I forget stuff. Right. Um, but the amount of kids that have been, you know, small college. I mean, I you know, I used to cover the small colleges a lot. And you know Barney real well. Yeah. And, and you just you would hear these stories, and you would go, "My God, if this kid was at Duke, it would be on ESPN, the lead ESPN." And that's ultimately most of these kids ain't going to become Michael Jordan, right? You know, if they can make a living at it, that's great. But most of these kids are going to go out into life and try to make something of themselves and have a family or do whatever they're going to do. And I mean, that's why John's kids would call him at one in the morning, think nothing of it. You know, any day. I mean, it's Eddie. I'm 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 here out now. Whatever. Right. And I'm sure. Like I said, I'm sure Jay gets calls like that, and Phil gets calls like that. Um, but you know, I mean, I remember Aaron McKee. I'll, I'll give you two quick ones. Right. Aaron McKee had nowhere to go. He had no. He was a starting forward on Gratz, who was like I think he was first team All Pub, but he started one year. He was a prop forty eight kid. He walked down Broad Street mm-hmm. and became an A ten player of the year for John Chaney. And Eddie Jones and Aaron's last game, which was uh, they lost to Indiana in the second round of the tournament when people thought they might go further. And, um, you know, John gave him the big bear hug. And, right. and, you know, afterwards we're in the locker room. And I went up to Eddie and I said, Eddie, you know, what did you and you, know, you and John you had that big bear hug and it's over now. And, he, and, he, and Eddie looked at me 
and he it's square jaw and he goes he taught me how to be a man he goes how do i re, how do i repay that and that stuck with me because a lot of the kids john got didn't come from two parent families no, no you know they didn't come from from what me and you come from um yeah, I think Rashid Brokenborough was raised by his, his grandmother. And there's at the, the Wetzel story that's on Yahoo.com is about it quotes uh, from years ago. Brokenborough's grandmother talking about John in her living room mm-hmm. and talking about how, you know, important it was for, you know, her son, her son would get an education if he wanted it and he would take care of him if he earned it. Kind of that kind of a mindset. Yep. That you, you know, put your trust in me and he'll get it, but he's got to put his trust in me. And right. that's kind of what John sp- I mean, preached. John, John and, and Rashid grew up in one of the worst neighborhoods, he told me, one of the worst neighborhoods in the city. Grace, they, uh, called it, uh, they called it the bottom. Right. It was out Strawberry Mansion. Philly, I guess. Strawberry Mansion. He went to Strawberry Mansion High School, so. Right. And I, but I don't know this. Or no, I'm, I'm sorry, he went I'm, to University I'm, City. My apologies. Right. I'm from Northeast Philly. Like, right. You know, what the hell do I know? I mean, I know some neighbor. They called it the bottom. Mm-hmm. Because that it was the bottom. It was yeah. the and and you you when you talk to kids like this and and you you get these stories and again every coach has stories like this. I'm not painting John as the only guy that. And I told him this once and and I don't think he believed me or maybe he did. He just wasn't letting on. But there was a time when John Thompson, Nolan Richardson, and John Cheney. That was the three. Right. They were the three. To, and and John didn't see himself. I don't think like that. Right. Because John had won a title. No one won a title in 94, mm-hmm. and that's something John never did. I always said to people, if he had gotten to a Final Four, they oh. would have had to pry him off the podium Yeah, because Nolan Richardson had the famous – because no one came up in bad circumstances mm-hmm. where he grew up really bad, wrong side of the track, the whole deal. When he went to the Final Four in 94, he took advantage of that to let people know his story. Um, And that was kind of the first time we'd heard something like that. If, if John had gone, it would have been – Kevin, it would have been insane. It would have been. People, everywhere I ever went with him, the columnists in those towns wouldn't let him go. They just, they just you know, the the, the Temple SID, eventually Jerry Emick had to come, come around and, John, we got to go. We got to go. Right. And, you know, one more question. One more question. Right. Jeez. God. Um, and there's a, there's a question I'm going to hold for DJ when we get him on. Um. Because I want to, I want to ask, you know, I think we all love that era. In you know, there's always been a romanticism about the Big Five in the '50s and the '60s and the Palestra every night and the Big House mm-hmm. and everything. But I'll ask you right away on this one, boy. That era, late '80s, early '90s, and you had you know, Philadelphia college basketball, and you had basically five of the six teams until. Phil took over at St. Joe's in 94, 95, you know, Lionel and speedy at LaSalle. Well, St. Joe's team in 86 was pretty good. Oh, that's Ro true. Martin. Ro Martin. They won the A 10 title. Right. So. Was that, was that lefty Irvin's team? No, I think it was Jimmy or not lefty Irvin. Uh, not, not Jimmy Lynham either. Um, was it Boyle? I yeah, it was, it was Jimmy Boyle. I think Excuse it was Jimmy me. Boyle. Yeah. All right. But Roley, obviously with Nova, and they made a run in 85, and then I think in 88, they went to the Elite yep. Eight as well. Yes, he did. Um, and then that went in the Lapis, and they were, you know, the Kittles era was interesting too. But mm-hmm. you you talk about uh, LaSalle with, with uh, Lionel 
and Speedy and Tim Legler and yep. <laughs> really good teams there. Obviously, Fran over at Penn had Jerome and Matt Maloney, and they were winning Ivy titles and competing with Petey uh, for the Ivy title every year. It's pretty remarkable when you think back. And, even and, and, Dre- and, and Drexel, Drexel had Malik Rose yeah. and, and Bill Harry. Well, they had Michael Anderson. And Bill Harry. Well, but, but before Bill. Right. When, um, when um, oh, God, Eddie. Eddie was there. Um, Eddie Burke. Oh, I can't, I think Eddie, Eddie Burke. Burke. And and Michael Anderson, who is a great player that nobody really remembers. Right. I think it was 86, I think, they went to the tournament. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you had, you know, a decade later, you had Malik. Um, yeah. It was, I, I told people, I got in, the, I was doing radio at some point back in the early 2000s, and, and somebody said, you know, it was a Villanova fan, and, you know, what was it? We came up the subject. What was the best program, like in in the city in the nineties? I said, well, Temple. Oh, how can you say that? How? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You have the Big East. That's fine. You got the Big East. You got the glamour. I said, you've won two NCAA tournament games in the last decade. That man's been the four final four final eights. Right. But they didn't see it that way, you know, because it was, oh, you know, it's on North Broad Street. No, 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 no. Nationally, and I'm not saying if Villanova still didn't have a good under Lapis, they did have a good. They had four pros on one team or three pros. I mean, they had some Alvin had some and Kittles stats. and Lawson, and yeah, but they didn't win in the postseason, and mm-hmm. that's and unfortunately Except for the NIT win that they had. Right, and that, but that cost Steve mm-hmm. eventually, and John won in the postseason, and he yeah. put Temple on the map. Think about this, because John figured it out. If I'm going to be up there, the Atlantic Ten is not going to get me there. Okay, I got to go play lost uh, UNLV. I got to play Kansas. I got to play Carolina. I'm going to play them on their courts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to beat them sometimes. And I'm going to get on national TV. And I'm going to get on national TV. Yep. And that was his whole formula. And, you know, um, it worked. It did. It worked. And, it, and when he got into the tournament, I guarantee you, Kevin, nobody wanted to play. Jet. Now, if you had better talent than him. And, and and some of John's teams got to the tournament. They weren't really that good. Right. You know, they snuck into the tournament. Nobody wanted to play him. Um, the, the great story was in 2001 when John made the run. That the probably last, got the last the elite eight. Right. Right. Because they had lost the year before, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a two seed when they shouldn't have. And um, uh, was big, that the they, game they, in they, Boise? They, what's that? Was that the game in Boise? No, the 2000 was a game up in Buffalo when they lost to Seton Hall. Okay. And who that did, was who the worst think it was? It, a big five team in the history of the tournament. Was it? They lost to West Virginia, maybe out in Boise. That was ninety eight. That was in right. Boise. They lost by like forty. Mm-hmm. And my lead was Temple flew twenty five hundred miles for this. Yeah, because they were the first. They were the second team out of the tournament by five minutes. Yeah, it was a Thursday. But anyway, so they get to two thousand and one, and the the bids come out, and Temple's drew Texas. Right. Texas was a six. Rick Barnes. So Rick Barnes happened to call Kelvin Sampson, or, or Kelvin Sampson called Rick Barnes. Like, who'd you get? And, and and Rick goes uh, Temple, and Kelvin goes uh, cause they had played them in 1996 in the first round, right? And John had tattooed them, um, and of course Temple beat Texas by like 18, and then they beat Florida, the next game by like 18, the defending national runner-ups, and um, that was the run that you know put them into the, uh, but but it's just it's amazing. Nobody wanted to play him. No, you know, I saw him beat. Kansas twice. I saw him beat Kansas. How about this? The one year, I'll never forget this. And I'm going to lose track of the year. I think it was 97 or 98. 
They were two and five or two and six to start the season. Right. Their two wins were against number one Kansas and number two Villanova. Nobody in the history of college basketball has ever done that. And they made the tournament that year. And uh, that was the year that I guess they lost to West Virginia. I think it was 98. Right. But, I mean, I saw him beat Bobby Huggins at Schumacher right. when Bobby Huggins was number one in the country. I remember that on a Sunday afternoon. Yep. Sunday afternoon, and, and they hadn't lost in Schumacher in, like, forever. And um, But, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I, I, I mean, before I covered them, they went to Carolina yep. and tattooed Dean in the Dean Dome. Yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, you know, he couldn't beat Duke, though. No. He couldn't beat Duke. No, eh. and it's funny, uh, you know, <laughs> there, there's a there's a clip today that's going around about like John talking about the call he had for the Hall of Fame and I should have loaded the sound and he talked about how he had been given money for the Hall of Fame and everything and he goes I don't I didn't give Mike money because and he pointed at Shashevsky who was in the audience I think he, did him <laughs> and Shashevsky go in the same year yes okay Moses Malone Shashevsky and John right and he looked he goes I didn't give Mike money because I you know I work at Temple. Right, and he goes, and the story goes, John was in the shower, and the Hall of Fame calls, and he had given a donation to the building of the new building, so he picks up the phone, and the guy goes, hi, I'm such and such from the Hall of Fame, and John goes, I'm not giving you any more money, and he hung up, and then on the next call, the guy's like, don't hang up, you're going in the Hall of Fame, he goes, and now I write a, ge- a generous check every year that makes sure. It's, I mean, the, the stories are endless, that's the problem with John. Yeah is I could sit here for the next two hours or three hours and Girardi could do the same thing, and, and I'm sure Harry can do it. And um, and speaking of which, let's go uh, when we come back. Well, actually, after this little intermission, we will get uh, Harry Donahue, the voice of Temple football and basketball on the radio, uh, and he'll give his memories of John Cheney. That's next here on this special edition of Working the Beat right after this. Ugh. And obviously the Temple family is... Uh, Tonight morning, one of the men who have been instrumental in uh, building the basketball program and the school to such a national acclaim. And joining us now, the voice of Temple football and basketball, who for years, I I could tell Harry this, he woke me up on school on snow mornings with uh, announcements about Philadelphia Catholic and public schools being closed. Uh, It's the voice of the Temple house, Harry Donahue. Harry, how are you? I'm doing well, Kevin. All things considered, thank you. Yep, and thank you for joining us on so, short notice. I, I guess, um, what was your reaction today when, when you heard the news? Um, well, I had been informed uh, over the past week that Coach had been hospitalized and that he, uh, of course, he celebrated his 89th birthday just a few days ago. And um, I was told at first that he was in the hospital and I was called a couple of days ago that he had come home. And I knew he was not in good health. I mean, he struggled with diabetes his entire life. He, um, his eyes always were a problem. In the last year or so, he was pretty much immobilized and needed a wheelchair to get around. The last time I saw him was at a Temple game last year, and he was in a wheelchair. And his son, John, would always manage to uh, get him there, not, not frequently, but whenever he was able to make it to uh, a game. It was always be with his son, John. And, uh, you know, he was still himself. His mind was still sharp. And he could still tell a lot of lies, as he liked to say. (laughs) But uh, 
<laughs> we always we always fell for them because of the man who was talking to us. So, so Harry, it's it's your understanding that he was home then. My understanding, Mike, is that he was home. Yeah. Okay, because when I talked to him last week, as I told Kevin, he, he was in the hospital. You know, yes, he was. He was he in Chestnut Hill Hospital. Yes. Yeah, he said something about blood clot in his leg or something, but he sounded good. Mm-hmm. So I, I I didn't know if that had been the problem or if he had just you know. And I think he I think Mikey also had a fall, oh, and okay. so that that may have caused the leg problem. Okay. And uh, his good longtime physician, Doctor John Scanlon, uh, who is at Chestnut Hill. And uh, he, I'm sure, was uh, on top of the whole situation there. But he was in the hospital. I'm not sure exactly the extent of time. Uh, at least I'd say more than a week, a week and a half. And then he that, was able that to sounds come about home. right. Yeah. He, yeah, he was able to come home uh, either maybe Tuesday of this week, and and was right. home. Yeah. And his and his wife is still with with us, right? Yes, and uh, not doing well health wise. Yeah, I, I figured that. Yeah, and that's been the case uh, for a few years. And between his son John and his daughter Pam, they pretty much uh, look in, especially Pam. Pam uh, has been, you know, a very loving daughter uh, over the past uh, time here. And, and John lost John lost his son about ten years ago. Yes. I want to say yes, he lost his son. Right. Yeah. And I, and some of us remember Jean because she was a, a phys ed teacher in the Philadelphia school district and actually yeah, was at my school correct. at Fells his Junior wife. High. Yeah. yeah, his wife. Uh, and that's where I actually met John for the first time back in 87. Where was that, Kevin? Where Fells was that? Junior High. It Fells. now became Fells High School. Oh, Fells. Okay. Right. Fells, yeah. Up on Devereaux and... Um, yeah, it's a high school now. It, it was a yeah, it's a high school now, but it was right. a junior high back then and she was okay. the gym teacher in 87, 88 when... They were on their way to the Elite Eight, yeah. And the whole building was decked out oh, in, in, in cherry and white, and it was um, it was inter- it was fascinating. He came by, he would s- say hello to her, and he would you know greet all of us and treat us like his players. It's <laughs> good Harry, and bad. <laughs> Harry, you covered obviously a lot of things in this town over the years, right? Is he the most unique person? That you've ever come across, and we know we've known a lot of yes. characters, right? I no mean, question about it. You know what, Mike? Uh, people who only see John Chaney in the dimension of him being yeah, a, a, exactly. a Hall of Fame basketball coach. Yeah, John Chaney may have been, and I'm, I'm probably sure you'd agree with this, or at least understand where I'm coming from. He may have been the most intelligent person that I've ever been in the presence of, spoken to, listened to. I mean. Being a Temple basketball player, all, what was it, 24 years or something yes, that he was there. Do you realize, I hope, I think most of them now look back and say, you know, I probably missed so much that I should have been paying attention to. You know, his, his practices were, some days, I remember one time on a Sunday, he, he started practice and stopped and talked for two hours. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. About life. He didn't yes. even mention an X or an O or an opponent's no. name. And, and and just, as he called them, his life lessons with these kids. Yeah. yeah. How many coaches who wind up in the Hall of Fame do that? It's funny, Harry, that you mentioned that. I just watched a somebody YouTube sent me a copy of a YouTube of 2004 Daily News Live Christmas Eve show. Oh, yeah. With John. You guys did with Neil Hartman all we the time. We did right. with Neil. And it's what you just said, though, about his intelligence. Oh, yeah. And regardless 
of what your political views are. I get it that you know he he was a Democrat and he didn't whatever. But he was talking. I watched the whole show, or a lot of it, and he was talking about the world, the politics, and all. And he's rad. He's saying stuff. And I'm thinking like. How does John Cheney know all this? Yeah. I mean, because he was trying to tell Neil why President Bush was a bit, you know, what, I know. wasn't working out. But I, I, and sometimes when you were close to him, you lost sight of that. Yeah. And he really was. He was teacher of the year in Pennsylvania. Well, in that's was, 79. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. His whole background wasn't just coaching, it was in education. Yes, it was. Yeah. You no. Know, and from Sarah Junior High School to Simon Gratz to Cheney State. And then, of course, you know, I was talking to people today. I mean, what happened when Peter Leocorus got rid of Don Casey? Mm-hmm. And he also, by the way, got rid of, at the same time, a fellow by the name of Wayne Harden and f- hired some young 30-year-old. Bruce Arians. Bruce yeah. Arians. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, where, where does Peter Leocorus fit into this, too? Another guy who we lost not that long ago. I mean... Do you realize Bruce Arians and John Cheney were hired within a year of each other, replacing two pretty well, one Hall of Fame coach and and Wayne Harden and Don Casey. Do you agree, Harry, that because of what Temple stood for, you know, like, you know, back then it was, you know, the black school up on North Broad Street, but it was like, give us, you know, give the people who maybe don't have a chance, we'll take a chance. That it was kind of the perfect marriage with what what he was. I think he would have been successful no matter where he coached. I don't think it would have mattered. But that the marriage of Temple and him was just something that was meant to be. Absolutely. When you look back on it, and, you know, he he clashed with a lot of people, politicians included. When they were trying to build and get approval for the Leah Kors Center, two of the biggest opponents were the Street Brothers. Mm-hmm. Yes, John they Street were. and Milton Street. Yeah. And they were putting up all kinds of demands and and almost making it impossible for the university to build that building. Which and was just John, a parking lot at that point. It was just a huge well, parking was, lot. Yeah, at, Wilkie Buick yeah. had donated. Yeah. Uh, Dan Paulette, who later became the chairman of the board of trustees, but he owned Wilkie Buick, and he gave them the land to build that. Do and, you know how long that was on the drawing board? He oh. promised Mark Macon he would play in that building. <laughs> and it took another 10 years. Exactly. Well, that's that because of the, most of it due to the opposition from the local politicians and Cheney basically challenged him. He said, if you guys don't approve this, I'm going to tell the university to move out the Ambler. Yeah. yeah. That's how strong he laid the, 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 that's the line. You can say the line on Broad Street. He said, yeah. you guys are the problem. It's not Temple University. And that's why, you know, when I hear people talk about John not caring about anything, but like, you know, racial issues all in one direction. All I tell them is to walk one mile in John Cheney's shoes when he came out of Ben Franklin High School mm-hmm. as the player of the year in the public league and didn't get one scholarship offer from right. any schools, not only in Philadelphia, but any Division One schools. He went right. to Bethune-Cookman back in his native Florida. Of course, he was born in Jacksonville, came up north, went back to Florida, and then came back up and, and became a Hall of Fame legend. John said – you know, growing up in Jacksonville as a black kid at that time, right? Not really what you want, but it can't, Kevin. Just allow. I, right. I, I know I've asked her like three questions. No problem. I wrote. A, I wrote a story. Oh God, I'm trying to remember. I, I think John was still coaching, uh, but whatever. Where he went back to, um, and Speedy Morris didn't know that he hadn't been born in Philadelphia. That was great. I, I when Speedy told me, I'm thinking like you know everything. 
to the house he lived in on 1600 block. I, I'll never remember the street. It's in South Philly, right South off Philly. of Bro- what yeah. was that? In South Philly. In yeah. South Philly, right off of Broad Street. And we did this whole story because I'd run out of things to write about John. We went to the, we went down there. He talked about it, and he said sometimes I go by there, and I see the, the the old men sitting out on the stoop or on the street corner, and I start crying. He goes because that could have been me, right. and I'm sitting there thinking of this. Are you kidding me? But that's how John and John had seen that. Right. John knew, and that's why I think he looked at some of his kids and said, "Yeah, they could grow up to be that." Right. No, I'm going to give him the opportunity, and if you want to get mad at me for giving him the opportunity, it, you know, he was always one of those guys, don't be afraid to fail. Right. That, right. Was, that was his thing. Harry, let me ask you, because of your knowledge of the program from being an alum and everything from being the radio voice, I mean, when he gets there, Don Don Casey had a, a, a good term, uh, and, you know, and they obviously had Harry Litwack before. I'm not minimizing right. what those guys did. He won like 25 games, Kevin, or something like, I think, two years before he was let go. But the idea of this program went to another couple levels. Why did it make that leap? I mean, it was always good, but it made that elite international caliber competition leap. Well, you have to remember, um, Back in those days, you know, with conferences and everything like that, it was totally different. Right. And uh, there was the Atlantic 10, uh, which Temple eventually dominated. And there was also with uh, Coach Cheney and at the time the athletic department changed. Ernie Casal was also let go by Peter Leocoris at this time. And I guess I'm trying to think, was the first athletic director after Ernie may have been uh, Charlie Theokas. I, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it was. Yeah. And Charlie had been the commissioner of the Atlantic 10. Yes. You're and, right. and came to Temple. And he wasn't a Philly guy. He was more of a New York guy. In fact, he got fired by Donald Trump uh, because he ran that <laughs> restaurant uh, at the top of the World Trade, Trade Center. Center at, at uh, Trump had. But anyhow, it that's all another story. <laughs> it happens. So, but anyhow, here's. So Cheney's philosophy was he wanted to go and schedule in a non-conference schedule Mm -hmm. the best. He didn't care where they were. He'd play anybody, okay? I remember in 1987-88, the great team that, you know, should have gone to the Final Four, but that's another story. Uh, Mark Macon's first game, you know who they played? UCLA at Pauley Pavilion. Right. And I did the game. On television that night. And did they have Pooh Richardson? Yeah, well, that's what I was just going to get to. And Walt Hazard was their coach. Uh, right. And that was another that was another thorn in Coach's side that Pooh, who went to school where Cheney did at Ben Franklin, yeah. and all of a sudden he wound up at UCLA. And whatever happened, happened. But Cheney thought he was going to get him, and he didn't. But he did get Mark Macon. Right. And we went out there. We I did the game with Bill Campbell, believe it or not, on Channel 17. Bill, Bill Campbell put Mark Mason <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> and but you know what? That night, I'll never forget, was the opening game of the year. And Temple won. And Macon had like 24, 25 points. And I remember after the game, all the reporters handed uh, or were looking at the stat sheet. And Pooh Richardson, they were interviewing. And they said, what would you think about this kid Macon? You know? From Saginaw, Michigan, he's at Temple and right. all. And, and Pooh goes, 
Well, he had 27 shots. He, uh, he said he better get 24, 25 points. Ooh. And, you know, he, he, and it was like, okay. Because nobody could talk to Mekin because, as right. you know, Mike, freshmen couldn't talk to the media. That was another Cheneyism, right? Well, that was, that was, like, a, that was yeah. That I was like know. the 5 o'clock practices, two fouls in the first half. You come out of the game, game, even if you've only played a minute, and and you couldn't talk as a freshman. But if I remember, Craig, I could be wrong, Harry. <laughs> I don't think that happened till like, 10 games into Macon's freshman year because John claimed that when they were at Las Vegas, oh, yeah. people that were game. calling his hotel room, which I really don't think was true. And that's why he kind of instituted that. But I could be I could be wrong. I mean, he might, yeah. but he, yeah, he had rules, man. You're right. Two fouls, sit. Two fouls, you he, sit. He sat. Who was his big guy in like 85? The, uh, oh, God, he was good with the bad leg. He had the bad. Granger Hall. He sat him with oh, yeah. one foul in the first half. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And always, and how about the inbounds play? You just throw it all the way to the backcourt and let Howie Evans or whoever the point guard was track it down. Okay. Can I ask you this? How big of a deal was it to hire a black coach in 1982? Well, it was pretty big, especially a black coach from a Division II school, even if they had won a national championship. First, John Cheney, he was well known in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. But he wasn't expected to be the next coach at Temple University, mm-hmm. uh, and at the time, and that's another thing about like Kevin's question about how did they go from like the Casey years to all of a sudden within five years they're playing possibly for a, a spot in the Final Four. Uh, back then, the, the two most prominent African American coaches were Nolan Richardson at Arkansas and John Thompson at Georgetown. Coach came on the scene, and Mark Macon has told me since. That coach didn't have to recruit him. He basically said, I want to play for you. Okay. And that's why that's how that all happened. Yeah. Wow. And and Mark, of course, uh turned into arguably the I don't know, either the best or the second best player in Temple history. Guy Rogers would be the other yeah. guy that I would consider most people don't know Guy Rogers, but I I'm Well if you're up. if you're second to Guy Rogers, <laughs> that, that's pretty good. Like, yeah, I, I, I remember Mark. Mark's line was, "I'm going to be a sponge. I'm going to soak you up." Yep, and he did, and he, he did. did, and he's still here and helping with Aaron. You know, he's 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 back with the team, and um, you know, it's John Cheney. So what happened was, and you know, and the other thing about Coach, I think Mark, maybe Ricky, did Ricky uh, was he a McDonald's All American? He was Mark a McDonald's All American. He was one of four, I believe, that that John recruited. Well, John always used to laugh and say, "The only McDonald's I have is a hamburger and French fries." You know, I mean, and he called and he called it McDonald's. It wasn't McDonald's; it was McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. But Mark definitely the Mark making uh, presence, I think. And then, of course, you know, when I got on TV and and Vital shaking bacon, and I guess that was the Vegas game. Yep. And that game, you know, there was a call in that game at the end where they called out of bounds, and, and it really. Could, should have gone the other way in Temple's favor if you look at the real slow mo on that, and that was their only loss, right? Going into the that tournament. was their only loss yes. going to the Duke, yeah. And then, yep. and, then um, and then Mark probably had his worst game in his career, six for twenty nine, I think, against Billy. Everybody says Billy King. I mean, I think I could have been guarding Mark Macon, and he would have gone. <laughs> he just had one of those days. You, you know, know what the funny thing is about that, Harry? And and Mike Vrieswick says. You know, he went one for eleven in that game. Yeah, nobody I know. Rem- nobody, nobody knew that. about it. Yeah. But Mark's last game, he scores thirty-one against Carolina, and he, you know he shot whatever his last game, 
And I remember Rick Fox said he thought the last shot was going in because everything else he'd thrown up went in. And nobody remembers that game. No. Nobody gives re- – and Mark right. Macon scored 2,600 points. I know he had a license <laughs> to shoot. I get it. But, but 2,600 points? Yep. He's like 500 ahead of anybody else in Temple history, and Temple's had some damn good players. Yeah, I think the only other guy over 2,000 is Lynn Greer. Harry, yeah, yeah, Harry, and the other, yeah, go, no, go ahead, but, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was just, and the other thing is, you know, stories about coach. People ask me, "What are your favorite stories?" You know, and it's unfortunately, you know, I, I don't have the the memory that I used to have. But how there was this one game we played Auburn. Uh, you remember, Mike? You were covering the game first. The first time they played him, it was Jeff Lebo's first year as coach at Auburn. I'm and, sure I was there. Yeah, yeah, and it was at the Leocor Center. And coach, oh, yeah, made the, yeah, he made the mistake of p- pulling. It may have been like Marty Collins and and Antoine Robinson that crowd. And, and Auburn and, came back from like 17 down and, and won the game at the yeah. buzzer on right. a corner three. And it right. was like, and and there was no way they should have won that game. And coach for some reason, was clearing his bench when they were like 18 up and all that. And yeah, he, which, which he never did. The following year, we went down to Auburn. And I'll never forget, we stayed at a Marriott, and uh, we arrived like around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We bussed to the hotel, and John Baum, who my longtime caller analyst, great Temple player, arguably one of the five best Temple players of all time, sitting in the the grill room there having, you know, a drink or whatever. And Coach came in, and he said, you guys hungry? I said, uh, yeah, Coach, we're going to get something. You want to join us? He said, I'm going down to a soul food place and bring some food back for you guys. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, how, how do you know? You've never been here. I mean, no, but he said, a bus driver's going to take me. I said, what, in a bus? He goes, well, how the hell else do you think we're going to get there? <laughs> you know what he did? He got the bus driver, who was a local guy, drove him to this soul food place in the back woods of Auburn. And the bus driver told me later, he pulled into the parking lot. And this was like a big, you know, like Academy style bus. Right. And all of a sudden the owner comes out when the guy's backing in thinking what he's got 50 people coming here. They didn't call ahead of time. And who, who comes off the bus? John Cheney. The bus driver said the, the owner almost died. He says, you're John Cheney. That's the other thing about coach. Everybody in the world, especially in the deep South, Knew who John Cheney They loved him. He was like the Pied Piper. (laughs) He came back an hour, 15 minutes later. Johnny Baum and I were waiting. He had six bags of food. He puts them on the table. He said, I got catfish. I got collard greens. I got jambalaya. Go ahead, eat it. I'm going to watch you guys eat it. I said, well, you going to have some? No, I'm going to watch you eat it. And we sat there and ate it and with the bus driver. And it was one of the greatest stories of all time. Kevin, I I don't think... I don't think anybody, Kevin, who who grew up poor, enjoyed their money more than John. Oh, he, yeah. He and he spent it on you, though. Yeah. He and he spent it on you. you. He enjoyed his clothes. He enjoyed his food. <laughs> and he was just glad to be John Cheney, I think. You know? uh, right. Money money didn't mean – he lived in the same house for 50 yep. years in Mount Airy. Yes, when he, he did. You know, guys – Guys today would be, you know, living in some uh, penthouse apartment. He, he bought it for he bought it for eleven he bought it for eleven thousand dollars in nineteen fifty nine. Right, I, I and gotta, he'd never leave. I gotta, he'd never leave. I gotta, the other my, the other great story. Sure. Uh, uh, if I'm hogging it, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. That's so okay. It, Go ahead and hog. 
my fr- uh, first year of doing game back then, of course, there were no charters, you know, mm-hmm. teams flew commercial and we would fly with the team John DeSango, who I mentioned earlier, uh, the operations guy, he took care of all that. But when we got to a city, we had to get a rental car with our producer, Chet Sikowski, who Mike knows. And I, I said to him, then why are we doing this? Now it's coach's rules. We can't get on the bus. So, after about the third road trip, we're sitting around the hotel. I said, Coach, I got, I got a question for you. He said, yeah, what's the matter? I said, how come we can fly on the plane to get here, but once we get here, we can't get on the bus and go. We have to get a rental car. He said, you know why you're not allowed on the bus? I said, no, why? He said, only essential people are allowed on that bus, and you two guys are not essential. <laughs> 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 and then he gave me a big hug and that crazy laugh, you know, a cackled laugh that he had. And I said, Coach, I just want to know where we stand. That's all. And, that's, and he was he was one of the most superstitious people, Kevin. Oh, that I ever. Well, the ties are the the, the clear indication of that. Correct. Yeah, but it went way beyond that. It, it was like he, he just he had his he was a creature of habit, man. I, I gotta yeah. I gotta ask Harry before we let him go because all three of us have sat near John. On the sidelines, behind his bench, whatever. I remember the first time I I sat right behind the bench at, at the Palestra when John yeah. was coaching. That was a great seat. It was a great seat. And look, I I I I like to think I'm not a prude, but John was an all time <laughs> cursor, wasn't he? <laughs> I mean, he could let it go. Oh, yes, yes, he could let it go, and he would, uh, you know. But like I said before, he could be turn that street like language on, or he also could go and make a presentation in front of a boardroom, exactly, and and everybody would be amazed. Yeah, he was such a well-rounded individual. Or he could face it; he was a product of his own environment, right? And he, you know, he played professional basketball in the old Eastern League, right? Which which was pretty good talent. I mean, back then the NBA had eight teams. I'm talking like in the '60s. He was a he was a two time MVP in that league. Right, and he was a tough, yes. tough humper. I mean, he, he wasn't a scorer, but he you know how he got now, that defensive mentality? It all started back there in the Eastern League when he would take on the best scorer of the other team and try to shut him down, and and uh, he did every little dirty trick. You ever hear Fran O'Hanlon talk about when he was the women's coach at Temple? And took the John, ball. They would play pickup <laughs> games at McGonagall Hall, and Fran would, like, John, you know, that's a foul. You're like, what do you mean that's a foul? It's not a foul. You know, like you call fouls on guys when you're playing against them. Yeah. He said, Fran O'Hanlon Han- told me, he said he never played against a tougher guy than John Chaney. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. No. And so it, it's, I'll tell you, we, we could we could spend a week talking about yeah. coach, you know, and only scratch the surface. Harry Donahue, who will be back on the air on Sunday, I believe, correct? Is Sunday Temple's- at uh, 12 o'clock against Tulane at the Leah Corey. All of a sudden, the Owls have a little win streak going. They're getting some good play from a couple of young guys. And, uh, you know, the, the crazy year that it is with the scheduling and everything like that, I don't know how Aaron does it. But I don't know how all the coaches do it. But hopefully uh, he's got this thing going in the right direction. What, what's it been like broadcasting in, in the pandemic? Well, we don't travel. Right. Uh, for, for the road games, we are set up in the Leo Chorus Center, um, and we have big TV monitors, two of them, and John and I sit there and do the game off the monitors. It's it's okay. I mean, it's not the same as being courtside. Right. But, it, but we have had some glitches where you lose the signal, 
And all of a sudden, it's like, uh-oh. What? Like They were playing a game at Tulane a couple weeks ago. And right before halftime, J.P. Mormon hit almost a half-court shot, a three, to tie the game up. Right. We, we never saw it go in. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, like, flub uh, because they said, oh, I tumble inbounds with five seconds to go. And all of a sudden, and then it's like, well, Mormon's dribbling up. I don't know if he had the ball or not. And then I saw on our my iPad, I have the stats, the live right. time stats. And it has a play-by-play uh, part of it. And it said, Mormon hits a three from near half court. So that's what I said. And all of a sudden, the picture came back on. And we saw them going into the locker room. And it was a tie ball game. That almost sounds like the old Ronald Reagan recreations of, like, yeah, baseball. Yeah, Red Barber with, with two little sticks clapping them yeah. together to make it sound like uh, the ball hit. While the teletype's going, fouled off, fouled off, fouled off. <laughs> I'd say, yeah. But anyhow, we, yeah, it's like anything else you do today. I, it's not the same, but you try to make the most of it. Harry, I appreciate you joining us again on short notice. And uh, uh, It was great to talk about, Coach. Hey, anytime. And, anytime. And, and I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll catch up closer to March here when you know everything gets settled with uh, conference tournaments and everything. Yeah, so. that should be interesting. Huh? Yeah. Harry, uh, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Good, ha- Mike, good talking stay, to you. Stay too. safe. Stay no. safe, Harry. Harry Donahue from the Temple Radio Network, and we'll be back right after this. Our thanks to Harry Donahue for joining us and now joining us. uh, Mr. Kern's running mate for a long time, who was the college basketball writer for the Philadelphia Daily News. I think it's the other way around, Kevin. Well, that's, you know. uh, All right, you both went hand in hand. Uh, (laughs) uh, You knew more basketball than I did. And who spent... Christmas Eve with one John Cheney for a number of years as part of the classic uh, Daily News Live episodes. Now, uh, just retired, I guess, right, Dick? Are you, you're still doing Penn State, right? I'm doing the Penn State games. I, I do a, I do a column a week for the website at the racetrack. I still do my racetrack. TV he does shows. more now than he did when the <laughs> Daily News was busted. It's Dick Girardi, I should point out. 17. Yeah, the, the only thing I don't do is like you know, the, the however many stories I would write a week for the paper. But yeah, most of the rest of the stuff. You don't have to. You don't have to go happening. to. You don't have to go to Oleon anymore. That's the That's only. Correct. That is correct. <laughs> Two trips was more than sufficient. That's, That's true. The uh, Olean and the castle and wherever else we stayed. The up. castle, Jesus. Uh, but uh, but remember this: Dick did go to Buffalo one year for me. That is Temple true. Lost to Seton Hall because I just couldn't do it. I, yeah, I, I, we switched I spots. Go, yeah, I had to go to Austin. Yeah, yeah. Took, Why'd I, you have to go to, go to Austin? I took Buffalo because Mike was so despondent. I was, I was, I was done. I they was lost done. the seat and all. That might have been John's best chance to win it all because they, they, they Michigan State the year Michigan State won it. Yeah, and John's and Cheney at, and uh, Temple had beaten them earlier in the year at, at the what was no. Then, I think that Buffalo. I think that game was actually the year before that, Dick. Okay, uh, I, they had definitely yeah. beaten them. Yeah. Uh, so, but whatever, yeah. Uh, they would have, they would have had to beat him in Detroit, but who knows? Yeah, whatever. Would have liked a shot at it. Yeah, that's right. All right. So before we went on, you were telling the story in the aftermath of Goongate. Yes. Which was really John's last controversy back, I think, in two thousand five. Correct. That's cor- that's correct. It was uh, they were playing St. Joe's, mm-hmm. and you know, and St. Joe's had beaten them like four times in a row for a very good reason. They had a better team. They had yeah. Jameer Nelson, Delonte West, and that crew. And before that, Temple had beaten them like a hundred times in a row. And right. I think Phil had, had, had like, kind of like Cal Parry a decade earlier, right? Because he, he getting, had the players that could do it, right? And when you have Jameer Nelson, Phil figured out how to beat him. I think, right? He, he had shooters that could beat the zone. They made twenty yep. threes one Saturday at the Bluster. I mean, it wasn't because John did anything wrong. He just the other team had better players, right? But John was, as we all know, was extremely competitive. 
was irritated. So the next year, when Nelson and West are at the NBA, John said, "You know, that's it. I'll beat St. Joe's." And then they beat him again. Right. And 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 they're and Pat Carroll's going nuts, mm-hmm. and John's angry, and he sends poor Nehemiah Ingram into the game to start fouling. One of the nicest kids to ever wear a Temple uniform. Right. Fouls out in what, like five minutes, Mike? Well, he missed. Didn't take long. Yeah, he missed. Um. And Cheney had told people what he was going to do, apparently. Right. Before, um, beforehand, he said, I'm going to send in the goons. Uh, yeah. he, he, just, he was saying something bad. It was illegal screens. Because yeah. that, that's what the Celtics did back in the 1950s. Right. He, he, was, he was just mad he was losing, as right. he admitted to us much later. So so that happens. And at the end of it, of course, the last foul, uh, poor John Bryant, a senior on St. Joe's team, who was just an assistant on the recent Sixers teams, he breaks his arm. Right. And I, I, call, I call John like a day or two later. I said, John. You know, we we can't defend you here. You know, we we love you, but this is impossible. And I told him, you know, the kid broke his arm. So John is only he can do. He called him. He went over. He apologized. He did all those things. But and then that Phil was Phil Martelli was Phil was mad forgiving. He was mad. Oh, he was really mad. Yeah. St. Joe's probably they got to the A10 final, lost to George Washington. Bryant did not play. They had beaten George Washington in the regular season, won the A10 regular season may have won the championship with Bryant playing. Right. He was a starter, missed the NCAA, got to the NIT championship game that year. But Phil was mad, and he kept it for a long time. And that summer, I started calling both of them, said, look, this is Philly. Coaches get along. We can't have this. This wouldn't work in any other town. Uh, we, we're going to try to have a summit. John agreed way before Phil. Is my memory, Mike? See, I, I don't know. If you, you, you were the one that, that, yeah, you were the one that brokered that. So right. you just told me to show up one day. Yeah, that's kind of how I remember it. And then John, they both said they would do it. And John said, look, if we're going to do it, you know, Mike, you're the beat writer for St. Joe's. Mike's the beat writer for us. Mike, I said, great, he's it. So it was the four of us at Colleen's on the Parkway, which, of course, mm-hmm. was John's spot. That's where he hung out. And cream of chicken soup. Yeah. And it, it was, I don't know, two hours, Mike, whatever. It oh, God. Yeah. And it was just, and it was a stream of consciousness. Phil, who likes to talk, you know, Mike and I, who can talk, we said nothing. Oh. We just listened to John. And we ended up, it seems to me there was going to be a donation to Katrina. It's right after Hurricane Katrina had happened. Right. Uh, it, in John's name. I think that came out of it. And they made up, and we had a photographer <laughs> waiting outside. And it was the back page of the paper the next day, the truce or whatever, whatever it was. But yeah. Just crazy stuff. Mike, go ahead. Uh, D- Dick, and what, like, if you have, is there like a favorite, and I, I hate to pose it because I, I hate it when people tell, ask me this, but is there like a favorite Cheney story or two out of the millions that you have that yeah, just I mean, kind of stick yeah. out in your mind? Well, there's two for me. Um, one of them involves basketball, one does not. Uh, so the basketball one was in the, I think I have this date right, like 2003 Atlantic 10 tournament in Dayton. Um, the last game of the regular season, Temple was not going to make the NCAA. They just hadn't, hadn't had a good enough team. So they were going to have to win the Atlantic 10 tournament. The last game of the regular season, they're Dave, playing David, at, David West was on. Right. They're, they're playing at Xavier against right. David West, senior day. It's a huge day for Xavier and David West. You know, he's going away. He's going to go to the NBA. John, they're, they're, I mean, Temple is getting slaughtered. I mean, they're just getting hammered. And and at the end, the last minute, he's fouling. The place is booing him. Just they're angry. What? And I'm looking at this. What is he doing? And then I thought about it for a minute. I said, he's got something else in mind here. 
Well, he wanted to play Xavier again in the semifinals of the tournament. So he set it up for that's when he would play him if they both won their quarterfinal games. He knew Xavier was going to be angry because of what he'd done. And he knew that everything he had done. I think it was actually the quarterfinal. Whatever it was, you, you could be right. Because you said to me, you you said he he you said they're going to win this game. Right. I said he, he set them up. Yeah, I said he set them up. He threw the game, and I'd gone up to him before the game. I said, John, you threw that game. He said, Shh, don't tell anybody. Well, <laughs> I'm sitting right behind the Xavier bench, and they don't have any idea what's going on. I mean, none. And all of a sudden, this team they'd beaten by a hundred the week before. They're losing. They start having turnovers. The players are yelling at the coaches and yelling at each other. Temple wins the game. Remember at Dayton, Mike, they had that ramp that was like a, it was yep. like you walk straight up to get to the press conference. Yep. So I walk up with John, just me and John. He puts his arm around me. He, said, he looks at me. I said, I said, old man, you threw that game, didn't you? He says, just don't tell anybody. And then, <laughs> and then at the press conference, everybody says, well, how'd you do that, coach? He says, well, I got an idea. There's somebody in the audience that knows, but I told him he can't tell. <laughs> It was just class because Mike was covering the game. I think St. Joe's had played earlier. I'd probably already finished my story. But, yeah, it was it was a legendary. They ended up losing the date in the finals, I think, Mike. Does that sound right? Yeah, they, yeah. yeah, but nobody – yeah, they, they needed to win the tournament to get in. I don't right. think they, they obviously did. Yeah, and it, what was the guy – Polk, what was his first name? It was one of his better players. Oh, um – Oh yeah. God! Yeah, not, too many, too many players. Too many, too Marty, many games. I think Marty Collins might have been on that team. Could have been. Yeah, he was probably the best player on that team. But it was, you know, it wasn't a vintage team. But no. John just figured out a way. He says, "This is my only shot," <laughs> and he almost pulled it off. And my best non-basketball uh, story. This is about. This is the summer of 2006, June, maybe two or three months after John has retired, right? March of 06, Mike, is when he retired. Yes. And yeah, off, his last game me. was against Phil, I think. It's excuse me while I disappear. Yep. The legendary uh, that was last the, yes. line of the press conference. So uh, a, a police officer in Philly, uh, Gary Skursky, had been shot and, and killed about a month before in the lower Northeast. And our buddy Joe, who still to this day owns Joe's uh, steak and soda shop on Tarsdale Avenue yep. in the Northeast, was going to have a benefit for Officer Skursky's family on a Sunday. And they usually weren't open on a Sunday. So he's having a benefit, and they're going to close down Tarsdale Avenue because there's going to be so many people at this thing, and he's going to cook steaks, and he's going to have them out there. So I called John. I said, John, they're having this benefit for the police officer's family. He says, you, know, you want to come over? It'd be great. The fans would see. You could just hang out. Bill. He says, I'm in. So he comes over, hangs for like three hours, talks to everybody, look, you know, just just does his job. At the end of the day, well, wasn't he cooking steak stick? He he may have been because uh, I couldn't be there that day. I had like a golf tournament. Yeah, there was something was going. You, you were not available, right? Um, so we end up we go back inside for a little while at the end, and we're sitting on those at the counter, and John pulls out his checkbook, and he and he writes a check to the to the family, uh, dates it signs it, hands it to me, says, give it to Joe, and tell him to fill it out. Classic. He, I gave, don't know you what, he gave you a blank check? Correct. I, I never asked Joe what number he put in there. Wow. Joe looked at me like, I said, my man, make it as big as you want, because he, he didn't give it to me before you put 100 on there. I can tell you, I can wow. tell you that. That was John Shane. Yeah. Dick, when you look at him from a basketball standpoint, um, you know, and look, there's a lot, there's, a lot of conversation about the coach 
and the impact he had on the men, on the young men he had, especially after prop, you know, with the Prop 48 stuff, and Mike and I talked about that earlier. Why was he so, you know, that, that, that formula he used was so unique, and it seemed like it drove almost everybody crazy when they had to play him on, especially on the short notice games like in the NCAA tournament. No, no, I think that's exactly right, Kevin. And I, somebody asked me that earlier today. I think that would still work today, even though the game is so different, because what he did was so different. And if he did, somebody did it today, everybody go, what is that? They wouldn't even recognize it because nobody plays like that. Look, the formula was very simple. We're going to get up way more shots than you because we're never going to turn it over. Uh, we don't know if we're going to make a lot of them, but volume ultimately and offensive rebounds, we'll get enough of them that we'll score enough points. You're going to be confused at some time during the game, probably at the, at the beginning for sure, and then later on, unless you just have so superior talent, which is what usually got him in the end in the Elite Eight games. He just ran up against teams with better players. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it was – he, he recruited players to the system. Um, I mean, Eddie Jones to me is the quintessential Temple zone player. I mean, I thought he was the best ever at it, just with the long arms and just understanding all the concepts and everything. But it, it you know, as I think about it, and the players had such incredible loyalty to him because they knew it was reciprocated. Um, I, I remember him telling me one time, I said, John, why are you so tough? He says, I'm tough. But in the end of it, I always put my arm around the players. That's why they I think that's why they love them so much, because they knew in the end that it was about more than the balls bouncing. And I think yeah. that's ultimately his legacy. But, yeah, the style, it was fascinating because it's, nobody played like that and no. nobody knew how to teach it. Like I think and I think they the players took as much pride in winning a freaking ugly game as John did. You know, he didn't mind winning 58-53. And I saw hundreds of those games. Yeah, And everybody would look at it and say, you can't play like that. John would just look at him and say, I just beat you. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's how he played. And that's why I'm saying the Atlantic 10. The Atlantic 10 games were always the toughest games for him. They knew. Because they knew how to play them. Yeah, what, wasn't there a year they were playing Oklahoma and my man Kelvin was down there and they said they said something about the zone. He said it was just the they zone. Dick, it was it was <laughs> No, that, no, that was that was actually Billy Donovan. Okay. In 2001 with Florida. In 2000, I've told I mean I've told this story before. 1996 they played Missouri or um Texas. Uh, Oklahoma. Oh. Final scores like 62-43 like it always is whether Ryan Minor was a star for Oklahoma. Gary Minor gets drafted baseball. by the Phillies about Ryan Minor. Ryan Minor. Yeah. Ryan yeah. Minor. So yeah. I go down to interview and I got I get sent down there. Okay. <laughs> so after I'm done I just said, "Hey Ryan, you know, you, you know, you played against Temple, you know, what you think of that zone?" He goes, "Well, he goes, I got to tell you, for the first half we thought they were playing man." <laughs> now and that's what I said. Now, wait a minute. I said, Ryan, they haven't played man in, in 150 years. But that's what John did yep. to you. Oh, yeah. And it was never – he did it to Norm Stewart. Norm Stewart's oh, yeah. in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. He did it to Billy Donovan. Oh, he did yeah. it to Rick Barnes. He did it to um, the guy who became the coach at Rutgers. He did it to Bobby Huggins. Um, <laughs> you know, these weren't just idiots he was beating. No, he did it to all the guys. Um, no, you're right. No, it just you know, took a team with superior talent. He would run up against Duke or right. North Carolina or Michigan or Michigan State. Right. In the, in the, but in the but he gave all the – except oh, for they, the Duke game in 99. They were in the game. They, they were, were in the games. Yep. The very no, end. No, no doubt. Mike, no doubt. Mike, let me ask you. Were you at Calipari? Uh, yes. At Amherst? <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. <laughs> I mean – 
<laughs> but I wasn't in the room. Okay. See, that's tell, tell the story. Okay. Tell the tell story, though. Jensen and I, I think, I, I'm almost sure it was Mike Jensen who's covering it for the Inquirer. It's a Sunday afternoon. We're up there. So we're in there for John, you know. And so John is done. He's going to leave. And there was only one camera in there. It was a stu- I believe it was a student camera. Uh, no, Channel 40 out of uh, Springfield, okay. Massachusetts. Out of Springfield? Yep. Okay. So anyway, so Jensen and I... And the only reason I... Mike, the only reason I know that is they were showing the highlight today. Right. And the... Oh, the, oh, the sports center. <laughs> well, okay. And it was the sports center, and it was Mike Tirico narrating it. A very young Mike Tirico. But if that that camera had not been there, Mm -hmm. which, but it was. So anyway, we walked down the hall, and you got to walk down the hall to get to Temple's locker room. So as we're walking, as we're exiting the the interview room, there's John, like in the hallway, like kind of looking like he's ready. But but you know, we we why I didn't stay in the room, I have no idea. Okay, so we get down to the locker room. And no sooner do we get to the Temple locker room where there's players, you know, Eddie Jones in his shorts, uh, whatever, just running out, running down the hall. So Jensen and I, okay, you know, so we go back, and by now it's it's mostly over. Um, and then we got to, you know, play catch-up the whole time. But I, so I turned, I, later on I said to Jensen, I felt like the guy who walked out of school book depository when, when uh, Oswald was walking in. But what people forget about that is Calipari instigated it. And I'm not I'm not excusing John for what he did. It's not like Goongate where John was dead wrong. Johnson had been in there, but he had won. He was mad because Calipari had won the game, and he was beating them then, like like Dick said with St. Joe's. And then he he got after the refs after the game, destroyed about them, a, about a quick whistle, and it was Jerry Donaghy who was the lead ref. And apparently, one of John's uh, uh, family was up there or something and told John about it. So John walks into the room, and his, his words were in very calm tone, Coach, your team is too good. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And Calipari told him, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. And then, and then you know, and I got a hold of Jerry Donaghy later that night because my deadline was like 7 in the morning. And I said, Jerry, do you think that Calipari crossed the line? He said, yes. Now, I can't write that. I mean, I think I did write something, but, but I wasn't going to dime Jerry out. Right, but, and then so then this is it's good too. We get back to the locker room. Mike, I remember you called me that night. Hang on, a second. Oh, nah, go ahead. You, you called me that night, and Dean said, "Hey, Mike, it's no big deal." It's, I said, "Mike, it's the league." Here, here's we get back to we get back to the locker room, and Cheney's <laughs> Cheney's prancing around like a cheetah, you know, like you see a cheetah in a cage, or and and he's like, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, and and Dean Demopoulos, God bless him, I love Dean, comes over to me and Jensen. Looks at us and says, now, don't you guys go making too big of a deal with this. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, Dean, you're going to be the lead story on SportsCenter for a week. <laughs> and it was. It was the lead story for like a week. And they played um, UMass the following week on a Thursday night. It was a 9 o'clock game. And I remember this because I was a student at Temple at that point. Wednesday night. Wednesday Saint night. St. Bonnie. St. Bonnie. Well, no, they they played te- they played they UMass. Played St. Joe's. Right, but they played UMass like right after that. Oh no, no, that was like two weeks, couple later. weeks later. Right, yeah, and that, that was when, that, that was the most Dick anticipated Temple game I remember in my time at the school. It, it was the loudest. Was I yeah. couldn't hear the person next to me, uh, literally. But Dick was yeah. Dick was great. He he, he said uh, he called Cal Coach Victim because uh, <laughs> Cal told Cal told he said, "Oh, my daughter asked me if I was going to come back from Philly," and that was a game where Mike Williams hit that damn. 
bank three-pointer. Yep. Yeah. Um, Yep. Where Eddie should have fouled him because they had a foul to give, mm-hmm. yep. and the whole season went downhill from that. They um and they lost to Indiana in the second round that year. Yeah, and they lost to UMass in the title game, which was a UMass. And yeah, look, UMass might have been a better team. I, who knows? But that year was the year when they lost to Indiana. Carolina lost yep. in the next game to Boston. So, Boston right, College. so Temple yep. would have had a really good chance of getting to the Final Four that year, but they didn't. So you know. Yeah, that 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 was so crazy that week after uh, the Calipari thing. Uh, UMass, uh, in my memory, is Kevin. They were at St. Joe's, like maybe that you're right. Tuesday you're right. Right. You, yes. So I got Calipari on the phone, and that's that's when he just said, "Hey, you 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 guys have always been good to me," and and we and at the time we weren't good to him at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, since I know I know John well, I'm fine with John, but. Yeah, we were just everybody was killing him in Philly because he was beating our man, our man, Coach Cheney. Nobody was happy yeah. about it. And, and all uh, the Atlantic Ten coaches were on Cheney's side. They correct. I called, I called them all, and they said the only thing he did wrong was not follow through with his threat. Yeah, <laughs> to, to I mean, Mike, Mike Jarvis of GW would have killed <laughs> Cal Party if you put uh, them no into a room. Um, but the, the, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this day, Kevin. The hilarious thing was when Cal said to John, "You don't know what you're talking about," you know. Sh- um, he took a step towards John. John. Right. And yeah. no, no. And no. then when Cheney, and, and actually Don Henderson. I, um, I actually saw Don got, in the video today, actually. Don got in the Don way, Henderson. but wow. Cal was backpedaling. But he was backpedaling, <laughs> like, with his fists up, you know. Or whatever. I mean, look, hey, look, John was, look, John was, he's oh. changed. He's not that guy anymore. I mean, I'm talking about Cal Parry. Um but at the time, he you know he got under Cheney's skin and and um he did. That's you know, I, that's that's how it worked. Yeah. I'll always say, by the way, that is the 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 that clip whenever it's played. <laughs> the fact that whoever has edited that over the years has not picked up like the golden rule of curse words that right, that, right. that John uh, that Cheney drops in the middle of it. That is audible. Know? I forgot. Uh, M F. I I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. If you listen to it, you can hear in John's voice, right blank, I'll kill you. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. (laughs) I just remember the I'll kill you. But the great thing about that, well, it wasn't the great thing, but I must have been on 20 radio stations that week. The fan (laughs) wouldn't have me on because I I said I wasn't in the room. When they found out I wasn't in the room, like that had anything to do with it. But you got the Francesca dismissive wave at that point. But go ahead. I guess. But the A10. Didn't handle like they didn't know how to handle it. No, and Linda and Bruno was the... two days, and finally Temple suspended them for the for they were going to St. Bonaventure on a Wednesday night. Okay, yep. and so and then they played Louisville and Orlando on Sunday. Right, and John was back for that game, and I remember we're up in Olean, and you know Temple's got all the security there. They got like three of their vice presidents there. They got <laughs> the whole thing, and I turned around to somebody. I said, "What do you think's going to happen here?" And then I called John on the phone. I said, John, how lucky are you? You got suspended and didn't have to come to Olean. And he started <laughs> laughing his ass off. I mean, but the whole thing was, look, was John wrong? And if he hadn't said, I'll kill you, you know, it wouldn't. But he did. So, you know, I, I, I get it. But, like, to me, Goongate was much different. And, and, and it was one of the few times where I, I said to John several times, John, you're wrong. Right. Can't, you can't, know, can't, and he's and I still don't know yeah. if he ever got that or not, but you know, 
What that, that, the last thing on that game, the UMass thing, Kevin, uh, they had a press conference the day John was suspended for the bottometric game that Mike was talking about. And I covered it because Mike was up at all in. Mm-hmm. And when it's over, John is saying stuff at the press conference like, you know, my dog has left me. My <laughs> wife has left me. You know, we all knew it was all nonsense, but, you know, it was just John being John. Well, the AP is there. And they write the story like Cheney's wife has left. Yeah, I remember. So I'm, in, I'm in the office, and I called Al Schreier and said, "Al, you got a problem." Man. Oh. I said, "I said, you, you, can you find the AP people?" He, he said, "Tell me what they did." I said, "I said, no." Nah. He said, "No, that didn't happen." I said, "Yeah, it happened." And, and, and the, I, I called John because I wanted to spend the night with him over watching the game with him. Oh, that's right. right. That's right. And, and, and I said, "John, can I come over?" He said, "No." Nah. You're not coming over. So but the funny thing was, so they played Louisville on Sunday. And as usual, John, they beat Louisville by 17, like 62 <laughs> to 50 or so, whatever it was. Right. And Rich Hoffman was there as our columnist. And John, on the second question, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he managed to get the words, I'll kill you, into his answer. And then he smiled. Like he was smiling as he said it. But he knew ex- he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, um, one of the and, smartest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah, and that was the beauty of it. Like, you know, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Xavier beat me by forty because I'm playing him next Wednesday. <laughs> I'm gonna beat him. Yeah, come on. Only he only he would have thought like that. Exactly. <laughs> before before we say good night on this one, uh, you two had the Christmas Eve shows, which uh, Mike, you've talked about it in the past. Watch one today, and, and yeah. Uh, Dick, I mean, talk about that that time when the cameras went off with him uh, yeah. on a holiday, hanging around. Yeah, I mean, it 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 kept going on obviously through the commercial breaks, and I remember Michael remember this before the shows would start every year. I'd say, John, this mm-hmm. is live television, and he would kind of look at me and says, "All right, I'll I'll, I'll be myself because you never knew if it was going to be an f bomb or what what was going to happen next." Uh, but yeah, even after the shows, we would all hang out in the lobby for like a long time, just talking and talking. And, and the shows were just, look, I'd love to see them all. I've seen bits and pieces of a bunch of them. I know Mike said he's going to send me the 2004 show. Um, and my memory is we did most of them with Neil, some of them with Michael, um, but all of them were great. And you never, the best part was you never knew what was about to be said. Right. And, and, and that's live television at its very best. And I mean, Dick, I, there were there were people that still to this day tell me that, that they would not miss that night, and it was right. one of the favorite things I've ever. And, done. and every I year we wondered, like, what would you say that was different? Like, you yeah, know, but it was always something. And, and, you never, so many stories. Kevin, near the end, the, the person that was in charge at the time didn't think that John was relevant anymore. They didn't want to. They, they didn't want to do the shows as much. So one year, Neil Hartman had arranged we were going to at least get him for a half hour. Right. Okay. He comes, and uh, Trey Thomas was still doing segments, and the Eagles were playing somebody that week, uh, right. must, whatever. And so they said, no, John's only going to be on for 15 minutes. Well, Neil went nuts. Neil's like, no, you can't do this. Um, it's not fair to John. He's coming all the way here. He's an old man. He's driving. It. Trey Thomas comes over and says, no, no, no. I'm taking, I'm taking, take my segment. He goes, people would rather see John Chaney. This was Trey Thomas. <laughs> It's tremendous. That's awesome. It was tremendous. And I'm, I'm like, Trey, and, and, and Trey said, no. He goes, I'll talk for the Eagles for about 10 minutes, and then you give John his half hour. Or yeah, whatever. John, yeah, John was so big. He, he had a segment on CBS Evening News tonight. That's really? Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Dick, but one and thing, should have. One thing before we go. Sure. Because I said this, but I think I said it. I've said so much stuff today. John, Nolan, and, and Thompson were the big three, right? I mean, Thompson was the biggest, I'm guessing, because, you know, he was John Thompson. And he had a national but, title. Yeah, but, I mean, Nolan, when Nolan went to the Final Four in 94 and took over that, that thing... Yep, and yep. said his piece about how he'd grown up. I always thought if John Chain, but John never saw himself like that, but they were the big three of, of African-American coaches, right? To me, they were, sure. Yeah, I mean, they were in the, in the 80s into the mid-90s and even a little later in some cases. Yeah, they were guys who had gone to uh, non- what Temple was a power at one time, but hadn't been for a while. Georgetown never was. Arkansas never was. And made them into, like, I mean, just phenomenal teams. Uh, and were fighters for social justice in an era where a lot of people didn't want to hear it and they didn't care. They were going to yeah. just tell everybody what they thought. And, yeah, this was 35, 40 years ago. Did. Yeah, yep. I mean, this wasn't no, like right. it was yesterday. It was brave to do that because in a lot of places, like, you know, fortunately John was at Temple with a guy like Peter Leocoris who, who got it, but in a lot of places they wouldn't have supported their coaches. They'd have been out the door uh, right. saying stuff like that. But thankfully, at least at those in those places, they did support them. And now you, you look at the landscape of college basketball, it's it's not you have a black coach now nobody cares no yeah no, you know nobody normal. cares that Ashley Howard's at LaSalle it's just it's Ashley Howard or you know, Aaron at Temple or right. yeah you know, thirty yep. years ago that that you know people would have you know it's not like college college football still fighting that battle but college basketball crossed that a long time ago and it was because of guys like Thompson right. And 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 uh, the guy at Arkansas and John Nolan Richardson uh, sure Dick but I think we still have you um, I hope we still have you. I get an arrow screen there, so maybe we don't have you. Um, but this has been uh, a lot of a lot of good memories uh, to talk about everything with John Chaney. It's just a shame we have to talk about him. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, but I, you know, I, I think in we have lost DJ. Uh, so okay. I, uh, Mike, I, I'll give you the final word. I mean, oh, Kevin, you, you, you take a, you take a word, man. I've talked well, a lot. I mean, I I think what we what we've seen is a passing of a generation. I mean, this is you know we lost Roly a couple of years ago, um, and but the impact that that John had even more than Roly. Roly was not loved in Philadelphia. We know that. Um, John was John was loved because of the way he treated people and the people he saw and the people he you know the the story. That was just about, uh, about the Gary Slowski, uh, uh, officer at Gary Slowski and, and the blank check and, you know, him. Oh, oh Skursky. Or yeah, Skursky. Yeah. Uh, right, right, yeah. the, 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 the story of, of him, you know, Neil Hartman doing a story of him walking the Italian market and buying and, and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. John was, uh, John was a symbol in the city for a guy who was tough, but a guy who also just absolutely knew. Uh, what well, he he, he, he fought was. the fight. He yeah. fought the fight. Um, and like I think Raleigh was a giant, but it was more of a Villanova thing. Yeah, and a Big East thing, because he was a big part of that. Carnesecca Thompson. Yeah, you know he was just as much of that as those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I and and look nationally, look of course people, but John was was big in a different kind of way, and I'm not saying one was better than the other or one. It was just. John was seen by a lot of black people. Like I said, I would go to airports. 
uh, I, I'll leave you with this funny story. There, were, there was a, a, a kid, I know if you remember, Antonio Lang yeah. played for Duke. Okay. Duke, he was really hard. So anyway, so change going down to recruit him. So this mm-hmm. would have been, I don't know, early 90s, whatever. 91, 92, and, yeah, somewhere in there. He gets to the airport, gets off, and John always got his shoes, sign, shoes shined. So he's sitting there, and the, and the guy's, you know, rubbing his shoes. He goes, Coach, you know, Coach, you know, what, what are you here for? Well, you know, I'm here to see Antonio Lang. He goes, oh, he's going to Duke. And John's like, well, you know, no, I'm going to say, long story short, he goes to Antonio Lang's house, and there's like 100 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just wanted to see John, John Chaney. That's, I mean, I'm not saying Antonio, like, like, but but it was common knowledge. He's going to Duke. <laughs> but, right. yeah, let's have John come down. Come and, on down and, yeah, meet. Come on down. And, and um, you know, and, and um, he, he was just... You know, I don't want to get like uh, sappy about it or nothing, but John was one of those guys, and he had his rough side. Absolutely. Oh, he was yeah, not yeah. flawless. He was human, and actually, yeah, I mean, DJ has come back. Yep. But he was one of those people that cared about the people next to him. I mean, I remember one time sitting in, his, and you could go into his, you could just walk into his office. He didn't care. Yeah. You know, and John DeSangro, who was his his right hand person that kind of ran the program for him. And John came by and, and took a jacket off or something, had a jacket laying over in the corner because Nike would get you, yeah, whatever. Threw about three jackets in a, in, a, in a bag or a box or something and said to the sign, go, I was just over at the Reading Terminal and there was this like homeless guy over there. Take these jackets over to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and he probably did that all the time. And that doesn't make him any better than, right. than all other human or whatever, but it just, he cared <clears throat> about because he saw himself as a guy who had made it right and he wasn't sure why he had made it you know he, he i mean he knew he worked hard and right tried to do the right thing but like he said you know you don't you could try to do the right things and it doesn't always work out and i think he just thought of himself as one lucky sob who was going to try to lift some others out if he could help in any way dj uh, dj i am back no, and, and I, 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 since we're wrapping up here, let me give you final thoughts on, on his legacy as a coach and as a man. Yeah, um, for me, the player on all of his teams that I'm closest with is Mike Breezewick. We spent a lot of time together at racetracks and other places. Right. And I, I kind of asked Mike that question, and, and, and I think his answer is the best. It's like they knew, like they couldldn't go home for Christmas. Mike lived in Morrisville. They right. wouldn't let him go home for Christmas. Because the other players couldn't go home for Christmas. The guys that lived in, like Eddie Jones, f- lived from Florida. Mm-hmm. So he, he's basically telling Mike, look, you're just going to have to be like everybody else. Even though you're close, we're going to treat all you guys the same because I don't want anybody to think you're getting an advantage or somebody's got at a disadvantage. So John thought like that. People just don't think that way. Uh, John thought about the last guy on the bench, uh, the star treated them all the same way. Uh, and I think every last player that, that stayed with it, uh, and, and there were some that couldn't deal with it because like everywhere, but I think every last player that stayed with it has this incredible devotion to him to the point where the 88 team, thankfully, Mike told me today, was on a Zoom call with John just Tuesday. Wow. So he got to say his goodbyes. They got to say their goodbyes wow. to the coach. Um, some, there was some, something providential was working there. Man. Um, but that to this day, they're still that close with him. 
you know, is a testament to who he, who he is. That just doesn't happen everywhere. Uh, it doesn't happen that many places. A lot of people leave bitter. They leave upset. But, John, there was a method to everything John did. And ultimately, it was, it was a life story. And, and, boy, his story is really just one of, one of the great stories in the history. Yeah, and, t- and Temple, isn't like, Temple isn't like Duke where you have a network no. of 1,000 people. That's John Cheney. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's the network. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 him, and he you know, and he kept it all together for a long time, and hopefully those guys will keep it together without him. Yep, gentlemen, I appreciate you uh, getting together and giving thoughts this evening. Obviously, a tough night for everybody who's been connected with Philadelphia college basketball for really since the since the late seventies. If you want to go back to the years at Cheney State, uh, Dick Girardi and uh, Mike Kern, I appreciate it. Uh, we will leave you tonight. Um, we started with Sinatra, so we might as well end with Sinatra. Um, <laughs> at his final words of his retirement press conference, he sang the end of Angel Eyes, which was slowly I will disappear. So we'll let Francis Albert take us home. We'll talk to you next week when we'll get back to all the other trivial stuff. But rest in peace, John Cheney, going at the age of 89. For Mike Hearn, I'm Kevin Cooney. Have a good evening. But I gotta run The facts uncommonly clear I gotta find Who's now the number one And why my While I disappear